I wanted to say before starting that this morning as I was driving, praying about, uh, driving here, praying about this morning and meeting with the Lord and thinking about the sermon, the idea came to me um, just of that wonderful scene with Elijah the prophet when he's on Mount Carmel and he's encountering, he's confronting the prophets of Baal, the false prophets of a false God. And the, just the, the reality of the fact that he made this, he put the wood, he got the wood ready, he poured the water on, and he prepared it as much as he could. I've prepared this as much as I can this morning, but for the fire to come, that, was, that had to be the Lord. And that's what we're praying for this morning. That's what I'm asking for. And so um, I rarely do this, but if you would just uh, continue in a spirit of prayer with Nathaniel, in line with what Nathaniel prayed and with me now. Lord, just um, the wood is here. The water's on the wood. And we know that you're here, as Paul said earlier. Because where two or three are gathered, there you are. And behold, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have your promise. But Holy Spirit, would you come and would you ignite? Would you ignite this pile of wood? Would you ignite our hearts? Would you open us up? Would we see you as Moses saw you? lifted up, glorious, full of compassion and mercy, ready to save. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what if God offered to give you anything on one condition? Um, and that condition was his absence from your life. So don't, don't give the church answer. That's not gonna help us here. That's not gonna help you. Um, and, it, and it's dishonest besides, um, probably. Give the real answer. Give the answer that your heart that your heart feels. When I say, think about it, let's go to details. Think about $100 million in the bank. Um, no more financial worries ever. Perfect health, guaranteed for the rest of your life. The esteem that you crave, the people that you want to be in a relationship with, the degree that you want from that, from that school, pleasure to the nth degree, anything you can dream up and more until the day you die with no regrets or, and no breakdown. Um, or maybe you're in high school and you just want this guy to like you or this girl to like you. You want to make the grade. You want to go to the college. Um, you want to be the cool kid in school. I don't even think they say that anymore. Probably saying that phrase is uncool now. Um, but whatever it is that you want where you are, you've got it. But the condition is God will be absent from your life. It's not that you'll be cursed. It's not even that you'll go to hell. It's just that he won't walk with you. He won't be with you. He won't be known by you during your life, um, during your life of immense blessing. And I want to say as much to me as to you this morning that if that appeals to you at all, not in your church clothes, but in your heart, um, you and I are miles away from where Moses is here before God in Exodus 33 and 34. And we all have a lot to learn from him this morning. So I want to jump in and look at the problem first. The problem, the position, and the provision. I try to steer away from alliteration, but sometimes it just happens that way. That's just how the chips fall out. So um, let's look at the problem first. And the problem is simply this in the text. It's really clear as we've walked through Exodus, especially in last week, we looked at the fact that God has been blessing and blessing and blessing and rescuing and saving and delivering from the iron furnace from slavery and throwing plagues on the enemies of and bringing through the Red Sea and drowning Pharaoh's army and providing bread from heaven for his people and giving them this beautiful law to live by. But last week we saw how quickly, even as Moses was still up on the mountain, they went a different way um, and forgot about God. 
And we, we talked about how that's, that's us. And the fact here crystallized by God in this passage in Exodus 33 is that the problem is that God cannot be with his people whom he loves. Um, he will give his gifts and his promises. What does he say here to Moses? I'll give, I'm gonna take you to the land I promised you where you're gonna have orchards and vineyards and walled cities where you'll be protected. Um, and on and on and on it goes. A full bank account, a great degree, kids, peace, prosperity, whatever it is for you, think about it. God says, I will give you the gifts I promised, but I'm not going with you. I'm not gonna give you my presence. Um, here's the thing. He's not refusing to go up from the desert in Sinai to the promised land, to Israel, because he's mad, but because he knows that his presence would mean the destruction of his people. It's like getting, it's like, us getting too close to the sun. The sun's not mad at you. It's just gonna destroy you. That's the way it is between us and the sun. Um, or to steal a Paul, uh, an, an illustration, a ridiculous but wonderful illustration from Paul from two weeks ago. Um, it's like Olaf and summer. The two do not go together. As much as Olaf wants to be uh, in summer, he's a snowman. And constitutionally, he is averse to warm weather. Um, and this, is, this crystallizes for us, this chapter, Exodus 33, the problem that, in, that is in the Old Testament, not just here in Exodus, and that drives the narrative forward toward Messiah, is that how is God to be with a people that he loves who constitutionally cannot be with him? Just like Olaf in summer, just like us too close to the sun. Even if he forgives them, which is all often, if we're honest, we take our Sunday school hats off, that most of us, that many of us want, an absence of consequences. Um, even if he forgives them, they will still remain. If he wipes their slate clean, they will still remain constitutionally opposed to him. Like positive magnets resisting a larger positive magnet. You can't push them together. They are constitutionally averse. Um, our being resists and opposes God and his presence is destruction for us. This is what this, this text highlights. Um, and so God says in verse three, I cannot go with them lest I destroy them on the way for they're a stiff-necked people. The magnets can't be pushed together. And here's the thing, the basic orientation of the smaller magnets has to be changed. Um, and so we see this not just here, but this problem, this first, this first point, this problem we see that this problem is the problem that drives the narrative forward with a disobedient people um, waiting for something to change. Will it ever? And so that's the problem. The position, um, as we move into point two, just looking at the position, here's what happens. So by way of synopsis, in verses four through six, Moses gets this word, I will give you everything. Put yourself in the place of this, okay? Think 401k. Think health and happiness and ease and prosperity and a great job and great kids. Just pile it on, pile it on, full bank account. I will give you everything you want. All the blessings I've promised you for the past centuries, but I'm not going with you. Moses comes down from the mountain and tells the people this. And it says, what do they do? They, 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 they press the stop on the jam box. Again, jam box. It's like the coolest kid in school. I'm totally revealing my age here. Um, mo some people here don't even know what a jam box is. Um, the, stop, the, mu the music stops. Literally, they take off their party clothes and they start mourning. It's a huge buzzkill. Um, verses seven through 11, which we, Nathaniel skipped um, by direction this morning, um, but it's this weird, seemingly weird bit 
It seems like an editor put it in. An editor didn't put it in. Um, But it talks about, it's this excursus, that's a big word, where it just talks about Moses. It says, hey, in the midst of all this disastrous news, and when Moses goes before God after this with a conversation, it says, I want to see you, which we'll get to. Um, There's this bit in verses seven through 11 where it says, hey, there was this tent that Moses pitched outside of where the people camped in the wilderness. It's called the tent of meeting. And that's where Moses would go to meet with God. And he talked to him and met with him face to face as a man meets with a friend. And um, there's this, Moses is, he is growing. He, he's, he has this amazing relationship. And when he's going to love this God more and more and more as the narrative progresses. And um, as the people saw the cloud of glory come down and meet with Moses as he would go into the tent. And Joshua, it says, Joshua, whose name means is Yeshua. I mean, it's the same as Jesus. He would be right there with Moses outside the tent waiting there. As long as the glory cloud was there, Moses was in it and Joshua was right there beside it. Um, and the people would stand up out of reverence and watch as this happened outside. Um, so after this, Moses makes this strange request, this speech. He says, you know me, but I don't really know you. Show me yourself. What do you really like? If I have found favor with you, as you say that I have, show me who you really are, your heart. I want to know you. And remember, he says, remember this nation's your people. So we can already see he's starting to intercede. But here comes the bang. From this point, from verse 14 on, things really start to warm up. And then by, um, by chapter 34, they get white hot. This is one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. Um, God has said, I'll bless you and I'll give you all that I promise, but I won't go with you. I can't. And Moses says one of the most sublime things that is uttered by human lips in the scriptures. He says, God, if, if you don't go with us, it doesn't matter what you give to us. We're not going. No deal. You have to go with us. It's you or nothing. Everything in the world minus you is nothing. You plus zero is everything. This is what Moses is saying. Um, and what is happening here? Again, what we, it's quite simple. Moses is falling in love. He's growing to love this God that he's been meeting with face to face and having conversations with and getting to know. And he's like, it's what every lover says. The whole world without you is, is dust. I hate it. No, I'm not going but you plus nothing else is everything to me. This is love language. This is what Moses is saying. Um, He's in love with his maker. In verse 16, a sublime, again, a sublime statement. He says, what makes us distinct? Is it material blessing? Is it bread from heaven? Is it being delivered from the Egyptians? Is it the utter destruction of our enemies? Is it all these things, these walled cities, these fruit trees, a Mediterranean beach? And that's Israel has this amazing, they're flanked by this incredible Mediterranean beach. Um, this beautiful land, the hill, country, the hill country called the Shephelah, all these things. Again, think, think in your own world. All the things that, that would mean peace and prosperity and security for you. All these, hey, good things. Moses is saying, if you don't go with us, then um, we're not going. It's nothing to us. Um, Moses is saying, it's your presence that, we, that I have to have. It's the non-negotiable. Um, If we are honest, I just, want to, I just want to pause here before getting to point three and say this. If we are honest, most of us 
are not here most of the time. I include myself in that. Here's the question that I want to drive into for the rest of our time. How do we get there? How do we get there? Because it's the only safe and good place to be. Everything else can and will in the end be taken from you. In this life, probably many times. Even the most reliable person will fail you. You will fail if you're a reliable person. Other people, sometimes. Bank accounts can evaporate. They take wings and fly away. And on and on it goes. Um, And these things aren't stable enough. They aren't made for us to give our hearts to. And yet we continue, we continue, we continue. Moses is showing us the way forward. And here's, here's the thing. So I want us to just pause even now. I want sermons to become more of a dialogue, which means, yeah, I want more callbacks, all right? Um, but it also means you are of the church. And, and this isn't a stage where I, as a super church person, get to, yes, I have the privilege of teaching you, but we are a body of Christ having a conversation um, in God's presence um, through God's word by his Holy Spirit. And so I just wanna take time together right now, just to be honest, even if it's 10 seconds, and just utter a prayer. Pray for the person to your right too. And just, um, and just take time and say, Lord, if you're not here where Moses is, Lord, I'm not here. Forgive me if this is blessing, if you alone are what I really was made for then would you make, would you give this to me? Would you make me desire this? Would you show me the way? And then we'll spend the rest of our time looking at what that way is in this text. And Lord, and you, so you pray, friends, pray and talk to God. Um, We just, I do, I pray. And I pray for this, my people, that you would give us hearts like Moses, that, that we might see you and desire you above all else. We repent. Give us mercy, God of compassion, in Jesus' name, amen. So there's this line, as we transition to point three, there's this line from the U2 song, I can't, again, U2, I'm dating myself, I'm sure. Um, there's this line, I can't live with or without you. And that's really, that really um, underscores and crystallizes where we are at this point after, after um, the problem and the provision, okay? The problem is that we, the God who loves us can't be with us. Our, we're constitutionally averse to him. And then the, Moses' position is, I'm not moving I'm not moving if you don't go with us. And so the, the, the U2 line says that I can't live with you, which is the problem. We can't live with God as we are. But also, I'm not, I can't live without you. You made us for yourself and I'm not going anywhere. Um, and so, um, so what? So, so point three, so the provision. Um, what is this provision that God gives to Moses? It's the sight of him. Um, it is God himself. And through Moses, God gives himself to this rebellious people. Okay, so what does Moses say? He says, I want to see you. If you say that I have favor, which I believe, show me yourself, who you really are. I wanna see you. And what does God say? He says, fine, deal, I'll do it. But he says more than that. He says, I'll do it in verses 13 and 18. But then what does he do? It says in chapter 34, as before God passes before Moses, it says, and God called out the Lord, the Lord. And he begins to tell Moses exactly what he's like. Moses is actually shielded from seeing God. And he only sees the back of him as it were. And he's put in this crevice, this rock, which we'll talk about. And God's hand as it were is over him. So Actually, God says, I will show you myself, but then he shows him him, himself how? Through his word. Guys, 
We see God, we know God, we are brought to God and we get to God through his word. Through his word. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. That's right. Um, So the solution is, and I want to focus on this for a few minutes together. God says this. He says, no man can see my fullness and live including you, Moses, in 18 through t- verses 18 through 23. So here's the solution. How's this going to happen? I'll place you inside a rock. I'll place you inside the rock and I'll cover you with my hand. And then as I pass by, I'll remove my hand. And you can see the back of me, okay? Um, and then God shows himself to Moses through the word. And that word reverberates the rest of the Old Testament. This is what God is like. And we're going to look at that together. Um, But if we look at the wording of verse 21 in particular, um, 33 verse 21, it's fascinating, even strange. Look at it with me. Um, God says, there is this, I'm translating literally, okay? So it's a little different from the ESV. There is, and the ESV is a great translation. He says, there is a place with me. Okay, so God basically says, no man can see me and live. But then he says this, there's a place with me. And you will stand upon the stone. The Hebrew connects through consonants stand and stone. So, or you will stand, you will stand upon the rock. So there is a place with me and it's on the rock. Okay, so the bad news is no man can see my face, truly know me. What does seeing someone's face mean? Can you have an amazing, intimate, satisfying, fulfilling, knowing and being known relationship with someone's back? You have to see what face is. Face is a symbolic way of, of pulling in all that is beautiful about a relationship. You have to see someone's face. And God is saying, you cannot be in relationship with the real me unmediated and live. It's like getting too close to the sun. It's like Olaf and summer. That's the bad news. The good news is verse 21, but it's one of the biggest buts in the Bible. There is a place with me. There is a place with me. Where? It's the sole place with me, the only place that you can be and actually be with me and live, to know me and live, to have fulfilling and satisfying a relationship with me and even favor with me. And it's when you stand on the stone. It's when you stand on the rock. So we have to ask, our hearts have to cry out with Moses, where is this rock and what is this rock? How are we placed inside of it? Because this speaks to us too, okay? Um, but before going there, I want to proceed to chapter 34 um, because we might guess that something of how, who God reveals himself to be um, tells us about what this rock is. So how does God start in verse uh, six of chapter 34, 34, six? How does he start when he says, the Lord, the Lord? What does he first say? He says this, I'll read it. It says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. That word merciful, translated so in the ESV, you might have a different translation. Um, it, it does mean merciful. That's a fine translation, but I might translate it myself and I will for our purposes today as compassion. A God that is compassionate or full of compassion. Um, And the reason I want to translate it compassionate is that its noun form is a woman's womb. It's the tenderest place on earth. It's the place of protection. It's the place where life grows. The most vulnerable 
life grows. The verb form means to conceive. Can mean, one of his meanings can mean to conceive in the Hebrew. This is the most tender place. This is what the, it's, hey, Moses says, I wanna know the real you. I wanna know what you're really like, God. And God says, deal, fine. You have to stand here. And the first thing, what is the first word God uses to describe himself? This word, compassionate, compassionate. Um, Now, fast forward. What is the primary emotion ascribed to Jesus in the gospels? Any guesses? You're good, you're good. I'm getting a little callback. It's a timid callback, but we're working on it. It's compassion. In the Greek, so this is in the Hebrew that we're reading. The Greek is the New Testament. It's a different word, obviously. It means guts, but it's translated as the same, compassionate. Jesus, he's filled with compassion and he feels compassion more than any other emotion when he sees God's people suffering, wandering like sheep without a shepherd, lost, physically hurting, emotionally hurting, spiritually hurting. It means he's grabbed in the guts, almost like he wants to throw up. He's so moved with compassion. One of the things we learn here about this is that of course, that's the primary way he's described. This is God, the word of God, how we know God come to dwell among us. This is the one in whom we must stand. It's the only way to see God. It's the way to truly know God. This one who is compassionate. This one who Paul says clearly, no bones about it in 1 Corinthians 10, verse four, and the rock was Christ. Just in case you missed it. Jesus, okay, what does this mean that he's full of compassion? It means when you are hurting friend and some of you right now, probably all of you, because we live in a broken world and we are broken people. Full of sin, surrounded by sinners in a broken creation. But I know that some of you are really hurting as your pastor and as your friend and as your brother. And I want you to know for certain from this quality of God. And we could spend, there are five qualities God gives. We could spend five months on this passage. That's not my assignment today. We can't do it. Um, But Compassion is the first one he gives, and it means that God in Christ hurts alongside you. Um, He hurts with you, and he understands you. Um, One commentator says this, he says it this way, all his healing work cost him feeling. It didn't come for free. He wept, and eventually he was was able to forgive people their sins and heal. Why? Because he's a magician? No, because he took that pain inside of himself and on the cross, he became it. He carried it to the cross and he became even our sin on the cross for us. Um, It cost him feeling. And not just compassion on our physical condition, but on our spiritual lostness and on our emotional brokenness. Um, We are, the word can mean pity. We are pitiful to him. He pities us as a father, his children. Um, So this high God that is more powerful than the zillion sons that he spoke in an instant. Uh, He's the first way that he describes himself is I'm a God full of compassion. Like like the womb of a mother. My guts are pulled when I see my people's condition. Um, So this rock 
Psalm 2, one of my favorite Psalms, it opens the whole book of the Psalms, the songs of God's people. It says this at the end of it. It says, now therefore, O kings, so the, all the world is shaking its fists at God. All the world hates God. What is God gonna do? What's his solution? Here's the solution and here's the counsel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. How do we do it? And rejoice with trembling. Here's the solution. Kiss the sun come into relationship, intimate relationship with him, in other words, lest he be angry at your sin and injustice, right? And you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Here's the phrase I wanted you to get. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him, who take refuge in him. There's this bit at the end of uh, our passage today where it's disturbing and, and God tells Moses, I will by no means clear the guilty. Wait, I thought God's merciful and gracious. I thought that's what merciful and gracious means. I thought it means that he clears the guilty. What's, what's that talking about here? What he's saying is I'm not gonna let sin go undealt with. It has to be covered and it has to be paid for and it has to be dealt with. And the way that happens is by us hiding in the rock us taking refuge in the son that God has provided because he is the one Every sin must be paid for and dealt with. He's the one who does it. If we refuse that, we will pay for our sin. And that's what judgment and hell and the wrath of God is. Either he takes it in our place or we do. So let us flee for refuge to Christ. Let me, let me share with you a story that I, that I heard once that is a true story about a, a, a horrific commercial airliner plane crash. And... Um, Everybody, there were no survivors except for one person, a little person. It was a child, a small child. Um, and it was an absolute mess, but this child was still alive. And what they figured out, and the question, of course, was how did everyone die except for this kid? Um, and, and what had happened is the mother had apparently wrapped herself around this child so that when the, uh, when the shearing metal and white hot uh, gas powered flame came and consumed all the passengers, including the mom. The mom acted like a shield for that child and the child was safe. Um, This is what Psalm 212 means. This is what Christ Jesus came to do. Because we are constitutionally opposed to the God who loves us, he came to make a way and to bear the wrath that we deserve. Um, Matthew 27, Jesus on the cross. What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was he forsaken? Because it's what we deserve because of our constitution, because of our makeup, because of our sin. John three thirty six. the end of John 3. We all know John three sixteen. for God so loved the world and so on. A wonderful verse. But the end of that chapter says this, whoever believes in the son, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life. What? But the wrath of God remains on him. What is the implication there? That the wrath of God was taken by Jesus for all who take refuge in him. And if you don't hide in him, that shearing metal and that white hot flame of the justice of God against sin and evil and wickedness, which no perfect being could countenance, will, be, will come and will destroy all in its path. 
Um, and so Christ, and I say this with reverence, was somehow in the mystery of God destroyed on the cross for us. He wrapped himself around those who were his own, those who hide in him. Second Corinthians 5.21, lastly, for our sake, for, can we just pause there? Those words, I italicize them so as not to miss it in my manuscript. Those words hit me like a hammer as I was writing them down this week. For our sake, hold on to those three words as I read the rest of the verse. For, for your sake, not for his sake, for God so loved you, what? He made him to be sin who knew no sin, Jesus, so that in him, think hidden, think refuge, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Such is the love of God for you. Such is his um, unmerited and boundless love and mercy and compassion. Um, so after this, uh, God, after God reveals himself to Moses, Moses says a few strange things. Um, God says, in 33:12, I know you by name. John Currid, uh, one commentator says, he says, this is a statement implying great intimacy. I know you by name. If you don't know someone's name, you can't have an intimate relationship. I don't care how much time you spend around them. Hey, dude, you can't say, you can only say dude for so long. <laughs> that only carries currency for so long. God knows Moses' name. He talks to them face to face. John Currid said, this is a statement implying great intimacy and bonding. God uses it of no one else in the Bible. 33:15 God says I will go with you. Do you know that the you is singular there? And I will give you rest. He's talking to Moses. He's not saying I will go with the people. He's saying I'll go with you. 33:16 Moses says if you don't go with me check this out. If you don't go with me, don't bring us up from here. What's happening? And then again, 34 verse nine, if I have found favor with you, go with us. Moses is hitching his, he's using his, his status to gain currency for this rebellious people. He's saying, look, I have favor. And if I have favor in your sight, take us, go with us, be with us. Guys, in this way, Moses points us to a greater Moses who truly had perfect status before the father and traded it, gave it to you and took your status upon himself so that you could be in his stead, in his standing. So Jesus, by way of synopsis of this whole passage, he is this God of compassion that meets with Moses on the mountain. This is Jesus in the flesh, as John tells us. Um, he, he is God in fleshed, okay? But also he's the Moses that has total favor with God um, and says, if you don't, if you have favor with me, take my people too. He hitches, um, he hitches us to his lodestar and says, and says, I'm not going unless they can all go with me. Um, so he is God, he is Moses. And also, but also here's the kicker that we'll sort of finish up with. Um, Jesus also takes the place as I've touched on, as you probably realize of the rebellious people of Israel by taking their penalty upon himself and giving, giving us his status by faith. Um, so, so, but, but this, takes, this text in the last verse, astonishingly takes us even beyond, okay, we as God's people don't have to be destroyed. And it even takes us beyond God saying, okay, because you have favor and I'll go with you, I will go with the people. I will make them my people. It goes even beyond that. Check this out. 
In the last verse of our text that Nathaniel read, 34.9, Moses asks for something crazy. His request is nothing short of brazen. He says this. What does he say in 34.9? He says, take us for your inheritance. Seriously, Moses? It's exactly what he asked for. This rebellious, stiff-necked people who forget you and go worshiping golden calves the minute that your man leaves and goes up the mountain. That's us. But Moses is saying, if I have favor in your eyes, in your sight, take us, not just, don't just forgive us, don't just cleanse us, don't even just go with us, but take us as your inheritance. What is an inheritance? It's your reward. Take us as your reward. And here's what I want to just shoot us straight ahead to without theologizing at all. Of course, we see Moses is shooting us forward to one who actually secures this for us, Jesus, the greater Moses. Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't just take care of your sin and pay for it. He does. Expiation. He cleans you. There's not just atonement going on. Him for you. There is that. There's not just even sanctification. You becoming more and more like Jesus. Something that he gives you through his life and death and resurrection in person. There is all that. But the crown jewel of the Christian life is what Moses is asking for here. And it's what Christ secures. And that is adoption. Jesus makes us full-blooded, fully secure with all the rights of inheritance, sons and daughters of the Most High God. Moses asks, take this people for your inheritance and God says yes, because Jesus is coming and Jesus secures that. So what does this mean as we, as we wrap up and as I just give some application? Um, it means this. Let me just say it in a few different ways and, and give us some things that we can walk away with. It means that you have full store credit. Remember, remember camp? And uh, if you went to camp and they had like sugar, sh- sugar shacks and you went, to the, you went to the store and if, I'm so sorry if this ever happened to you. I think it happened to me once maybe and then I called mom crying and she, but you're like, can I have a, um, can I have a pixie stick please? You know, or whatever, whatever the things were that had like pure sugar in them, you just cut it and like whoever thought of that hates parents by the way. Like, thanks for giving that to my kid as if my kid's not bonkers enough already. Um, or, you know, give me, some, give me some fun dip, same sort of stuff. You know, you're like, you're like dipping a spade in just a bunch of colored sugar or some starburst or whatever it is, an icy. Um, but, and then they say to you, sorry, you have zero, zero dollars and zero cents store credit, you know? Um, that wasn't in the notes, by the way. Um, but the fact is, we have full store credit. The opposite of that is something that never happened to me. I get 20 bucks or 10 bucks at camp. You go and they just say, oh, you have unlimited credit. You can get whatever you want. I mean, that, of course, that's not gonna happen because the kid's just gonna go nutso. But um, it means we have full store credit. It means that Mo- God did not say to Moses, okay, here's how you, you can't constitutionally be with me, but here's how. You're an amazing person. He didn't say that. He said, but there is one place by me. There is one way you can be with me. It's on the rock. And that rock was Christ, 1 Corinthians 10. Here's the deal. You get full store credit, not because of you, because of Jesus, okay? There is nothing, if you've trusted in Christ and looked to him for your salvation, if you are on the rock by faith, there is nothing you can do, not even, not even slipping in your faith, because your faith is a gift, okay? It's on the rock that you stand. It's on the rock that you are secure with God. There's a place with him and you've been adopted. There is nothing that you, he's not looking to you. 
if you've looked at Christ. He's looking at Christ over you, Christ in you. Christ is a robe of righteousness covering you. That's the one you're standing on. That's the one you're taking refuge in. That's the one you're covered by, his work, his obedient life, his death, paying for all of your sins, his resurrection, validating that that payment was sufficient. That's the rock that you're in. You got full store credit. Can you just relax and enjoy God now and stop trying to perform because that's an insult to him? Just live as his child. Good works in order that we might be accepted are just as much of an insult as running off as a prodigal son and just going and just sowing our wild oats, okay? Both things are saying what you've done in Christ is not enough. It is enough. It is enough. You have full store credit. God is looking to his performance and not yours and, it's, and, it's, and he's paid it fully, it's finished and he's risen as proof, okay? Um, so this should secure you and give you peace. It should also what? Should it make us proud? Like, okay, I'm a Christian, you're not, you're worse. No, it humbles us. It should humble us, as Keller says, to the dirt and lift us up and ennoble us to the stars. God loves you that much. He, he thought of you, you are worth this much. You are worth giving my own very precious son for and crushing him that I might gain you. That's how much he loves you, but that's how much you didn't do it. Jesus did it. Should that humble us? Should it, all, it should also humble us. It should make us evangelists. Once that penny drops and we get, okay, I did nothing to deserve this. I'm totally secure and I'm humbled. Absolutely, I have nothing, no bragging rights. If once that penny drops, there's a well that springs up within us where we just have to tell people, come this way, come to this rock, stand on this stone, be covered by this guy. I don't care what you've done. It is not matched by what he's done. He will cover you. This should make us evangelists. This gospel, nothing else, not get out there and share. You should feel guilty. That's not gonna work. It's not the way it works, right? Oh, God's affection for and approval of you is based on Jesus 100%. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you because you're hiding in Christ and when he looks at you, he sees Christ. It means that as you're hid in Christ and forgiven and united to him, you are meeting with God face to face and when you meet with someone face to face, what happens? You become more and more like them you are becoming more like your king, more like your rescuer, more like your maker. And all the things that we run after, they will never satisfy, but we keep telling ourselves little lies that maybe they will, but there's a reason they don't because we weren't made for them. We were made for him. And so it will change us. We will stop running after approval of man, performance, validation by others. We have total security and total love. It's liberating. Um, So it means, and this is where I close just with a a long series of of quotes, but it means you can stop knocking on what? Brothel doors. Can I just be crass here? It means you can stop knocking on whorehouses. What do I mean? Okay, that's that's jarring, Pastor. Why'd you say that? Or to use a phrase from Ecclesiastes, it means you can stop chasing the wind. How productive is chasing the wind? You ever caught it? No, that's why he uses the phrase. It, going after these things to validate us, to satisfy us, it's never enough. There's a reason for that. You weren't made for those things. They're good, but when you make them the thing that you seek identity in and fulfillment in, you know, trying to grab the wind, 
trying to knock on a, what we're doing is we're trying to knock on a brothel door. We're trying to get satisfied with something else. The beauty that you've been looking for all your life is him. When he says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, that word goodness in the Hebrew, it's a catch-all. It means all of my goodness, all of my strength, all of my beauty. The word means beauty. It is what our souls long for even when we don't know it. And God has given himself fully to us in Christ and Christ is how we get to God. Um, G.K. Chesterton, this is where that phrase came from. And I've said it before, so if you've been here any amount of time, you've heard it. He says, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel or a whorehouse is what? He's actually looking for God. He's actually looking for God. He doesn't even know it or she, okay? Um, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself, Lewis says, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, let's use our brains for a second. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Or to put it this way, the most probable explanation is that I was made for a God who's, in, who's outside this world, who came into this world to bring us back to him. He has done that in Christ Jesus. Or as Augustine says, possibly most simply and sublimely, oh God, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. That word he uses in the Latin, it's inquietum, unquiet. Is your heart unquiet? Can you just make it a prayer if it is, Lord, quiet my heart. Help me to run after you, you who have given yourself fully to me. Um, This is what Moses realizes in his wisdom, in his love for the God that he has seen. You are what our souls are made for. You alone satisfy. Um, You crush all lesser idols. Okay. All the world without you is nothing. And you minus everything else is everything. God, give me all the pleasure, all the promises, all the blessings, and not you, no dice. Not going. Here's my prayer for us, and can we pray it now? Lord, would you make us, would you make us that kind of people? That we just say, we are not moving. A full auditorium, forget, forget, the, forget the divider. I'm talking this whole place, this whole cafetorium full. I'm talking the best programs in the world. I'm talking, uh, I'm talking even tons of, well, tons of people coming to know you. I'll take that. Um, Lord, uh, the best programs, the, 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 the tons of money in the offering plate, so much money we know to do with, Lord, all the, you know, justice and mercy ministries, um, amazing sermon and teaching. Uh, Lord, all that without you, without seeing you and knowing you and being filled by you and being in your presence, we don't want it. Lord, full bank accounts, 401k, health, prosperity, that relationship that we've been longing after, the car, the house, the second house, the vacation. Lord, if it's without you, if you're offering it to us and you're saying, but not with me, would we say no to that? Would you be our treasure that we sell everything else for so that we can so that we can have that pearl of great price, that treasure hidden in the field. Help us to find it in Christ. Whether we're just coming to him today 
or we've been with you for decades. Help us to come back again through repentance and through worship. We love you. We thank you. You've done everything necessary for us to know you and be with you forever. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. Amen.